I'm Sadia Tariq and you're listening to Dhani, the podcast. Aisha Chopra has been one of the most influential and highly respected yoga teachers in Pakistan. Now based in the US and a mother of two, she shares her yogic experience, how yoga has been a stepping stone, a doorway to many other things in life and how she is evolving to be a better mother just through yoga. Aisha also shares her journey to Sufism. She talks in detail about ego management, awareness, mindfulness and non-attachment. Hi Aisha and welcome to Dhani. Hi Sadia, thank you for having me. Aisha, you have been a much uh, respected and uh, very, very popular yoga teacher in in Pakistan and you have been teaching uh, yoga for over 10 years now. Um, Hard to believe, yes. (laughs) So just to, um, uh, you know, dig in immediately, what has yoga taught you? Um, Well, I think that uh, yoga was the first doorway for me to enter sensory experience. Uh, Before yoga, even though I had a history of being very athletic in school and using my body, I, um, I don't think I really ever spent time uh, feeling emotions or sensations. And um, that that layer of life was unknown to me before yoga and because um i i had done yoga on and off but when i really sort of connected with yoga i was going through a separation from my ex-husband it was a really critical time to sense um my emotions and feelings um, as coming and going as bodily experiences and it, it gave me relief from my my mind um and the thoughts that were really shaping my reality and so that's that's how it the doorway began and then it continued it continues to give me and um in different ways as i you know as i move through life as as now again and you know as a yoga teacher but also now i'm a mother and how much it helps me with my mothering and uh, that my practice has shifted and continued to shift it's never stayed static. So there's, those are just some highlights right now. Um, sure. So as you said, just moving on to this bit where you said that it's never been static. So, you know, at one point in time, it's been a teacher, a rescuer, a guide, mm-hmm. um, a peaceful, safe haven, as, as, you, as you say. Um, and when you have been interacting with uh, with so many students, what has your most favorite means have been in terms of imparting your learnings? Well, you know, I'll just quote some of my students. I think one thing that they all, that I get a lot is that they feel very peaceful after taking a class with me. Um, I think I tend to guide in a very relaxed, gentle way. Um, And that voice, that voice of gentleness really came to me through yoga for myself and for others. And I also have this uh, tendency for a long time, so this is something that has stayed um, 
pretty consistent as a teacher, always give options. Um, often I would even say to some students, if all you want to do is come and lie down in Shavasana through the whole class, I'm okay with that. And I'll always say, don't listen to what I, I'm saying, follow your own uh, experience. And I try to model that, that I may, I may invite a certain posture or movement, but not do it myself uh, because it doesn't mm. feel right for me uh, in that mm. moment. Um, and so I think that has been uh, something that my students have always commented that they feel very accepted by that style of teaching. They don't have to be uh, performing at this uh, uh, perfection or in terms of uh, pushing themselves. And I, I feel like because of the culture um, we live in, uh, I didn't want my class to be another place where the voice of criticism is being highlighted or the, the, the need to be better is being emphasized. Instead, it to be a place where you could just really be okay with whatever was coming up and uh, allow it, accept it, and, and give it space. And then, just ex and then just see what happens once you give it space. And there is no um, right or wrong. And so more and more, you know, in terms of my physical practice, I started to move away from classic yoga postures to much more micro movement, um, a lot more stillness in the poses. Um, and it's not yin, it's not like I hold a stretch, but it's you, you do a lot less, um, do a lot less in terms of the outward realm. And you try, I try to really bring people inside as a teacher. Mm. Mm. Um, you know how they say that you have to have that care and that compassion and that gentle voice with yourself before um, you're able to give it out. I mean, it's it's important for you to speak to yourself gently and as you're saying, be all accepting, all be in a fluid state and that will emanate in the words, that will emanate in your energy, that will emanate in your vibe. So you... So did yoga actually teach you to be gentle with yourself, accepting of yourself? You know, I think it's really interesting is that along with yoga, I, you know, was very um, spiritually open and seeking at that time when I really connected with yoga. And so I think I would say the physical practice, the body work was a doorway into so many different traditions and teachers. And uh, unfortunately, personally, I don't think that the evolution was as quick. I think um, only now, you know, as I've reached 10 years, I would say maybe two or three years in the last two, three years, has my own internal voice really started to, to actually um, reflect what I have been putting in my intentions and in my teaching. And one of the things that I learned, um, I think it was most probably around 2011, 2012, I came across some work from a, a teacher from South Africa. His name is Sheikh Ibrahim, and he has a lot of work on intention and that intention should be framed in the form of giving. And so I started to go into my classrooms and my classes, my yoga classes, and say to myself that, you know, 
my intention here is to give whatever these students need. And I would just drop my own agenda. And that has been the most like amazing thing to witness as a teacher is that I actually don't know what I'm going to teach when I walk into a class. I don't think I've made a class plan in, a, in almost eight years, you know. So I, I go in very open um, and I really work with intention and I let things arise. And from that, something from me within me comes out, but I really don't feel like I can take credit for it. Um, so it helps me as much when I teach because some of the things that uh, get connected or the, the realizations I have while I'm teaching or just after I teach something are, are for me, you know, they're new to me too. Um, so I really have been gifted with an ability to suspend my agenda in this one particular context. Um, I can't say that uh, I have the, the, the grace doesn't apply to all parts of my life, but definitely as, as a yoga teacher, um, that has been a gift for me. You know, that's really good to know because I thought I was the only one going <laughs> not prepared yeah. into class, walking in without a journal, walking in with any, no diagrams, nothing, and just walking in. As, I, as if I'm a student myself. Mm -hmm. And every time I've put myself in that frame where I am learning and I'm teaching, as you're saying, it just kind of flows. So that's good to know. Yeah, and I um, really, I really offer, that, I offer that advice to a lot of teachers to, to take that plunge, to take that risk, because I think the, the, the main challenge as people who are teaching, not just yoga, but anything, process um and so when you let go of that a little bit i mean i'm not saying that it's totally you know of course as a yoga instructor you have your go-to's and um you may have a certain flow that you 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 a rhythm to your class you know how you like to get people up to standing how you like to get people down to shavasana what you do in the middle but to really let go of of the um desire to control even in your class, I think it's a big learning for a teacher. Um, and the students respond. Some people really don't like it and they never come back. And that's, that was also something I learned as a teacher that, you know, I'm not going to be everyone's teacher. Um, mm, and absolutely. that's fine because not everyone can be my teacher. And I also experienced that as a student. So it's not a personal, uh, I don't take it personally, you know, but when you first start out, I think, there is, it is hard not to take it personally um, when someone doesn't come back or if someone doesn't give you oh, yes. critical, you know, someone gives you a very critical feedback or ask, often I would get asked, is this all you do? <laughs> and over time, oh, I've know. gotten very yeah. comfortable being, sometimes I do even less. So, <laughs> so, um, so yeah. Yeah, because uh, funny that you speak about ego, because only the other day I was reading that um, ego basically seeks to serve itself and the soul seeks to serve others. And as you, as you just said that you, when you walk in to your, um, towards your students, you are in a state of giving. Mm -hmm. Yes. And that state, that spirituality, and as you, you mentioned your Sheikh Ibrahim, so yoga was, as you said, a gateway to many things and spirituality being one of them. And that again is a journey 
would you like to comment on this journey of yours sure i think it's uh you know it's something that i've written about something that i share comfortably about um but you know i grew up in pakistan and uh for me that's still home even though i'm living in the us now and uh i grew up in a muslim family and uh, i think somewhere along you know early 9 or 10 years old i started to really question everything about my identity and uh, especially religion and so for a long period of my life starting from then from that young age till my separation from my ex-husband i really didn't have um any desire to be spiritual i was not called to that life um it was not it was just not something i had any awareness about and when i when i did dive into it or was called into it and you know i i started to pray I did know how to pray. I had knew how to do a little bit of praying, not everything. I just knew a little bit of the namaz still, and I knew um, uh, that that was familiar to me. So that's where I first went. And after a while, uh, it became more regular, and I started to commit more and more to the practice of Islam. And I was very interested in all all faiths and lots of different traditions, but it kept calling to me. um to read and learn more about sufism and sufi teachers and um somehow you know that was what was showing up on my doorstep and i'm for me of course now i see that that was that was god bringing that to me um but at that time it was not i was not planning anything it was not a thought process it was just i was open and it was what was showing up in my life um so that's that's how I sort of got into sufism I started to read books I had already been praying a little bit and uh you know in the mas islamic way but I also was doing a lot of energy work and a lot of yoga so there was all these things were combined they were never really separated for me and I was really looking for a teacher and I just thought oh I'll meet a yoga teacher I just really thought that that was where I would eventually find a guide but of course you know i didn't um i kept hoping i would go on yoga retreats i went on two teachers trainings i kept thinking that i'd feel this feeling um why i knew that or how i knew what feeling i would have when i would meet my teacher i don't really have a mental or intellectual answer for that but i just had this feeling that i wanted a teacher um and in 2012 i did meet uh, my teacher but he was not into yoga um even though he was familiar with it quite familiar with it but he was um a german convert living in karachi his name his he he passed away 2 years ago his name was a uh, mohammed harun raidinger um and uh, so he when i met him i really felt like i i became very uh, committed to the path of islam so his mm. the relationship i had with him and uh the community that came with his uh, association really started to define my spiritual path and um over the years you know i think that has been my focus is to really learn more about islam and uh implement the daily rituals as well as the um special rituals of the of the, of not just the faith as a larger faith but even the particular 
association I have with this Sufi group. And um, that's been, that's where I am now. But, you know, I find it very challenging. Um, and he said that to me because before, when I left for the U.S., he was still alive, um, that it would be hard to live in a non-Muslim country. Um, and I do, I, do see, I do feel that. I do feel the challenge um, of maintaining my practice without the community support. Mm. You know, there's a huge misconception in the yoga world and even otherwise that yoga is not Islamic or the fact that mm -hmm. it's Hinduism where it's, it's originating from. Hence, it is something that um, it's from a different faith. Hence, perhaps it's not something to be practiced. And when I was reading and going through and I was going through the teacher training um, and even before, I just felt that you know, the basic um, yamas and the niyamas, for instance, so the mm -hmm. basic teachings of yoga. And again, this is coming from a very non-physical, you know, non-asana-based yes. thing that it's all about reflection. It's mm -hmm. all about being a better human being. It's all about being, as you're saying, serving others, giving others, um, putting your um, executive ego on the side, you know, on the mat, off the mat. And I said, this is just so everything that what the Quran teaches mm -hmm. us. So can you please clear that misconception for us? Well, you know, I think that it, it is tricky because what people forget uh, even before that is that the yoga that people are learning, including myself, you know, when I did my teacher's training and I did one in India too, you know, is that um, modern yoga is a, is a product of post-colonial uh, history. Like it's, it came out of Westerners increasing their interests in certain esoteric practices, but so many of the things that are called modern yoga come from some mix of, you know, what the British left behind and what the mat, what some people were really doing in the in so so many hundreds of years ago and so on. So I think that there's just a lot of confusion about how uh, this yoga that we associate, this mainstream yoga, it's really not. Um, it's really not what I feel. It's really not what yoga was whenever it was a few thousand years ago. And I'm not saying it has to be or it should be. We have to, you know, keep a pure tradition. I'm, I'm not advocating that. But just to keep that in context, and I think that's where, um, you know, I have a background in political science and social justice. And so I really sense that there's these real big gaps in the yoga community in understanding, you know, what is modern yoga? Um, mm. And so that's one level of, of it being associated with a specific faith or religion. I think it's more complicated than that. Um, and then there was a huge joining. Like there was a time where um, Muslims and Hindus who practiced yoga or yoga yogis who did not associate themselves with a specific so-called monolithic religion, because even the identity of Hinduism is there's all this, you know, research on it, um, that it was it was so varied and diverse and it only became one kind of unit with the with the col col colonization when the british came 
And mm-hmm. I mean, I'm I'm start talking about stuff I learned a long time ago. Things might have changed in the academic world, and so I can't say hundred percent that that's this case now that people still believe that now. But that's that makes sense to me. You know, when the outside when an outsider comes in, they want to define what that community is like. They want to put a label on it. But the yogis mm-hmm. and the so- Sufis, I heard, I mean, I read accounts about how they combined and how they shared with each other um, different practices and that uh, that there was so much in common rather than different. And Absolutely. So I feel like, you know, people want to create differences and that's a really normal condition that we all carry as humans. And I have it, you know, I struggle with it. Um, and they are, there are some differences between, between people. But I think generally these things are ways to take away from what's really the essence of of it. It doesn't really matter if I find uh, Islam through yoga. I mean, does how can one say sure. that that God didn't want me? God, God is disapproving of my doorway to Islam. You know, that seems a bit a bit out there to 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 claim such a thing. You know, anybody can find anything um, from a certain tradition and go somewhere, and it's just very unique to each individual and. There are some things, you know, that I don't feel comfortable doing um, that maybe another person's very comfortable doing, you know, in terms of chanting, for example. Um, there's some some things that I just I just don't include. And that that does that make it not yoga? And some may argue, yes, it does, because you're not chanting the chants that are associated with it. Um, but I just. I just don't have that experience um, as an individual. And obviously, I taught yoga in Pakistan. So in my context, um, generally, yoga is just seen as a physical practice. And Mm. I think that's where people don't let it go deeper because they want to create this division that like, you know, yoga is physical and um, our religion is our spiritual path. But the fact that they both overlap is quite quite natural because the body is a part of your spiritual experience. And um, you can call that movement, I feel, um, with another word as well, as long as you're doing something that allows you to get in touch with, you know, what it really feels like to have your feet on the ground, what it feels like to feel your heart beating in your chest. Um, These are not things that will harm anybody's spiritual path um no so i think that there's a lot of overlap there's a but i i also understand where it comes from because i think there's just a lot of confusion around what is yoga and you know i think modern yoga is is a product of of modernity and you know it's mm-hmm. it doesn't it's not it doesn't escape that it's still part of that yeah, I totally agree with you on this because any practice, it could be any sport, it could be any work, stepping up, going out, doing some charity work. The medium where it kind where you connect with your core and your heart, and where you and where, as you said, just where you find your heart beating and where you find that expansion within. Mm-hmm. 
um, that uh, you are at that time in a, in a spiritual practice. Now, it could be yoga, as you're saying, and it could be anything. So um, for me as well, I just find a lot of peace on the mat. And we as human beings are in pursuit of peace. And it is when we're peaceful, when we're connecting with the core, is when, when we find that connection, uh, you know, with that, that heart, mind, body, soul connection, when you're all one. I was listening to a podcast, another podcast, and this lady, uh, the host asks the lady that, um, what's your yoga practice like? And she says that, um, I uh, wake up in the morning and I have lemon water, and then I sit down for 20 minutes to meditate. And that's my yoga. You know, it's that state. Exactly. It doesn't have to be, um, it doesn't have to be a physical practice every time. Yeah. And that's actually been something that's really funny, kind of been a, a, a something I've been very uh, curious as I observe the yoga culture around me here and not just here, but in other parts of, you know, in Pakistan too, where I still am, I feel connected to that practice. Often people will say things like, oh, I just, you know, I need that. I need to go to class twice a week, or I need to do that 90 minutes in the morning. And you know, there was a time where I had all that time for myself, and I don't anymore. It's been three years. My older son is three and a half. My younger is two and a half. And I'm pregnant again, and I'm going to have another baby, inshallah, in March. So I, I don't foresee having 90 minutes to myself to do a yoga practice every day for another few years. Um, and I'm not saying that, that one shouldn't need that or want that. But at some point, uh, yoga became, for me, not about an asana practice out of, out of just sheer, sheer lack of ability to make that happen. So yoga became really so micro uh, experience, like when I'm doing the dishes or right at that moment before I'm going to lose my temper um, mm. because something is out of my control. Um, something is uh, happening. I'm, I'm exhausted. I, I need a break. And, and I have this, you know, a dependent who is uh, is inconsolable or something is happening and in that in that moment to have a breath have a pause um that i think is really the the yoga we should all be practicing um and being on the mat helps it uh, there's definitely a relationship between, you know, making time for being on the mat and and ha having those pauses become more and more uh, available or mindfulness or meditation or whatever, you know, whatever, whatever way one practices being more present. Uh, but it's, I think when I start hearing myself say I need it or I need that, I think I really question that, you know. Um, I just really want to know what what is it that I really need um, and why is it that I need something outside myself to fulfill something that's inside myself yeah so it's just it's a, it's a conversation I keep having you know um, about practice and what is practice and what does practice look like at different seasons of my life you know so it's mm. interesting the 
you said that about that woman because I I feel the same. I don't I don't have a physical asan practice personal practice anymore. Even though that was you know that was a huge part of my initial um, training and and personal practice. I had I I never skipped a day you know, but now my practice is very much immersed in my daily life. Um, Mm-hmm. And you just find it easier to to manage things, to flow through the day. Yeah, well, you know, there's and, different uh, resources for different experiences that I wouldn't have had if I hadn't been gifted with so much time to work on myself and to work on developing this practice uh, as a teacher and as a student. Um, yeah, I think that if I had been if I had been a mom in my twenties. Uh, versus mom in my 30s in because I had my 20s and part of my 30s to practice so much spiritual and uh, individual time private time really working on myself there's a I can't imagine the difference you know I can't imagine what kind of parent I would have been before mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm so grateful mm-hmm. because it's it's a it's a huge piece to impart it's another way to serve for me that I'm uh that the work I'm doing on myself is is now really it's really being tested. It's really showing up and in my in my way that I behave as a parent towards my child. Do I have the holding space to accept and love unconditionally um, when I'm being triggered, when I'm being pushed, um, when I'm tired, when I'm when I'm hungry, um, when I feel I'm not in charge? And that I think has been, you know, the most uh, interesting part of the last couple of years for me is to watch that, relate that, listen into my own conversation around these things. You know, mm. you just mentioned um, loving unconditionally, and uh, again, one of those um, quotes where which I came across, uh, which I keep coming across, yes. thanks to Facebook, <laughs> uh, where um, you know. Loving unconditionally is only possible when you are not attached. And again, I would request you to clear this misconception because um, there is there is misconception about non-attachment being, you know, as you become kind of indifferent and you become cold with the people around you or with the situations around you, uh, whereas that's not the real truth. You know, I think that was what really attracted me to Sufism because I I love this. Uh, I hope I say it right. To to be to be in to be in the world but not of the world. I think um, you know Sufis really recommend that you stay in creation. You really like work out your stuff with relationships that you have with the work with the family with the environment you know your community like that's the source of real um spiritual progress and i found mm-hmm. that you know in other spiritual traditions there was this uh different kind of take on it where you work on you know your life but then there comes a time where you you kind of set up set go away and that really that spirituality like the highest spirituality is by is by giving up everything and going away. So, you know, giving up all the relationships that you had. And I'm, I can't say which one is better, you know, because I can only say for myself that, that I deeply knew that in this life that I had to work out my stuff 
in relationship um, because those are the things that really um, uh, bring up my wounds and bring up the challenges that are uh, that I still face every day. And, you know, I, I, I think the only way, well, actually what's really interesting for me with my children, you know, I am of course so attached to them. I can't imagine not being attached. Um, I can't imagine that I would be a good parent if I wasn't attached to their, their existence, you know. Um, it's the most difficult part. You're so vulnerable as a parent, if some, you know, to even imagine the loss, to even imagine a, a small, small thing happening. It's a very primal attachment one has. And at the same time, where I think non-attachment plays a role is that I'm not attached to who they're going to be. And that makes me mm. a very different parent. Um, most parents, I feel, are very either unconsciously or consciously very attached to making their children into reflections of a themselves or people they want them to be. They want them to do well in school. They want them to have certain ideas and certain interests. And, you know, they want all this from them. And I think that's where attachment, that's where, you know, one, one gets into the suffering of attachment. But um, mm. or it's the second arrow of attachment. Now, if I can truly love my children um, without attachment, for me, that doesn't mean that I don't that I don't love them or that I'm cold or indifferent to them. That means that I have the capacity as their parent um, to really let them be who they are um, unconditionally um, to give them that freedom. That's the hardest part in a room you know, in, a, in an intimate relationship with the, with the partner, you know, that's where I struggle a lot. Like, can I really let my partner be the, the person he wants to be without it getting into my, you know, like, oh, I wish that, you know, you didn't have to go out or I wish that you didn't like these things or, so I think that's where the non-attachment can be very useful as a way to practice some, um, some healthy, ways of not being attached to what another person is but in terms of love and in terms of connection i think that that's human you know that's being human i am going to be attached i am going to be um, deeply deeply uh, committed to certain people in my life and uh, i will be i will be very um, affected by losing them um, so i think that that's I don't want to use a spiritual practice to not be human. I think I want to have a spiritual practice that really lets me be human and experience being human um, and attach non-attachment is not the same as disassociation. Um, and disassociation is such a normal uh, condition of my life, you know, like that's so, so much of my behaviors are, uh, you know, adult behaviors are are disassociating from what's happening in the present moment. Um, that I really think the body work has been the gift to to not disassociate as deeply, to gently arrive over and over again to what is uh, happening with me, and also to accept when I can't be with it. Um, and I think. That itself is also a really unique uh, 
teaching, you know, that I've received from different teachers that, you know, we don't have to always go in deep. We don't always have to be in intense experiences. We can really set a pace and and really allow the 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 unfolding of a particular um challenge a particular experience it doesn't have to happen on a timeline i don't have to resolve or solve anything no you're absolutely right because as you're saying just be open just be soft just be fluid because you're not attached to a timeline you're not attached to the past and you just let the unfolding be you don't question it as you're saying not get in too deep into an intense situation because you are just in that non attachment state so yeah, yeah I, think I, it, I, I, I think don't... it can be really it can be really um unsafe to to invite people into going into their bodies sometimes you know and i'm really respectful of that um bodies have experienced trauma and uh bodies hold trauma so mm. i uh, i have a teacher uh liz coke who does uh, somatic work and she said that you know a, a room full of people resolving trauma in like you know in a yoga class is just not a very safe um it's not a very safe environment and that's not where mm. trauma should be uh you shouldn't I, I don't want to approach it that way. I think that it's it's I agree with her. I think that it's important that when I'm in a group class that I keep things at a level where, um, you know, one, I know what tools and resources to offer my students. If something intense does come up unknowingly, unexpectedly, which happens all the time, I'm sure it's happened to you in your classes. You know, you put someone in a butterfly or you put someone in a, a a certain kind of posture and they just feel an opening, a burst of emotion, you know, but at the same time, you know, I'm not trying to do that. I'm not trying to get my students to resolve trauma in a yoga class. Um, I want to keep it really simple, you know, feel, feel your toes, feel your hands, feel your breath. And, and through those doorways, if they find that too much stuff is coming up, then to offer them other support, you know, yeah. Where else can they go to get appropriate support for whatever is coming up? And uh, mm -hmm. I'm I'm a social worker also as my in my previous life. So even though I have that background in in you know doing individual client work, and I that's also maybe why I respect it so much that that's not my role as a yoga teacher, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, mm -hmm. I, as my own individual practice, I also don't uh, push myself. If something really intense comes up, I really want to be safe. Like, I don't want to uh, move into a place where I don't have the resources to support what's coming up. And uh, uh, so I take it just really easy and, you know, the best the best thing to do is have more resources you know that's that's the biggest challenge i think for most of us is that we don't have a lot of resources um in the community or in terms of teachers and guides or therapists and body workers and so on um either financially it's not accessible or or for what other reason there isn't as well so i think that there's a lot of stuff that can um come up and then the, the some people might think oh well i just have to detach from this you know like i just have to move a bit above it i have to 
what I've heard this term these days, spiritual bypass, I have to bypass it, you know, and I don't think that's what non-attachment is. I don't think it's a, a way to bypass your pain. Um, it's going to come up, you know, it's just destiny. <laughs> it <to win>. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Um, Aisha, it's been absolutely um, so intuitive and aware conversations. So just coming towards the end, I'm going to just ask, um, a few questions which you will answer by a word, by a phrase. Uh, so, if you were a type of asana, what would it be? Right now, I would be a forward fold. How do you resolve conflict? Badly. <laughs> <laughs> What's the wisest thing you've heard someone say? I've heard so many amazingly wise things, but um, do the best that you can and then learn from your mistakes. Where do you feel most at home? With Allah. My greatest teacher is, was? My Sheikh, my Sheikh Harun. What do you think is the most beautiful thing in this world? love love and love it is and thank you for sharing such such beautiful things and insights um, into the yoga world into life into finding spirituality finding your own voice um, it's been absolutely wonderful talking to you and i hope and hope someday to be taught by you thank you sadia that that would be wonderful you take care then thank you Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening and we would be most humbled if you can leave us with a comment, a rating or a suggestion. Thank you.